Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 411. We're recording this on Friday the 12th, July the 12th, at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time. You can watch it live on the WP Tonic Facebook page. You can watch us and listen to our words of wisdom. Or that comes from the panel. That definitely don't come from me. I've managed to wrestle some reasonable stories. We've got a good panel. We're mobile as well. We've got some people on the road. Driving, whatever. I don't know. Right. So let them introduce themselves. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to listeners and viewers? Certainly. My name is Sally Getch. My business is WP Fangirl. And uh, I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in (laughs) Oakland, California. Our next meeting is on the 20th. We're talking about uh, how to uh, work with each other as as freelancers and having a sort of, uh, you know, designer, developer, content writer uh, dating game. And I've got, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a reasonably regular, I was going to say a special, but he's been coming on quite regularly, so I'll say he's a part of the regular crew now. Got Adrian. Adrian, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We develop sales and marketing tools uh, for businesses that use WordPress as their CMS. If you're interested in learning about how you can set up marketing automation, email marketing, sales funnels, or any of that good salesy and marketing stuff, you can head on over to Groundhog with two Gs at the end dot IO for all of the information on that. That That's great. And John, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure thing. My name's John Locke, and I help uh, industrial and manufacturing companies with SEO through my company, Lockdown Design and SEO. Right, and we've got the foreign correspondent, Spencer. Would you like to introduce? <laughs> yes, yeah, so reporting here from Beirut, Lebanon. It's Spence from um, Spencer Farber from WP Launchify. I try to convince people to leave WordPress and use Wix and Weebly whenever possible. <laughs> No? Oh, sorry. I mean, uh, I do marketing updates oh, and membership the for WordPress. The truth is coming to light now, isn't it? I always had, <laughs> I always had my suspicions. But there we go. And uh, um, we've got Moulton with us. Moulton, would you like to introduce yourself to this as a viewers? Hey, people. Morton is sick today, but still present since I've Oh, my God. Morton. Oh, my God, fathers. Can you increase your volume a little bit, Morton? You're a little bit faint. Maybe because volume. you died. Hello, hello. Yeah, that's a little bit better. Oh, yeah. <coughs> <laughs> All right. And, um, thank you for coming, Morton. It's much appreciated. Um, so let's delve right into story number one. WordPress oh, theme review team initiate long-term plan to make all WordPress org themes accessible. Um, what did you think of this one, Sally? Uh, I think it's a terrific idea, and uh, <laughs> um, that uh, the theme review team seems to be on a roll since they're they're also uh, working on you know <laughs> guidelines about uh, excessive uh, notifications um, from themes, and and there's supposedly guidelines about those from plugins, and you know people do seem to still ignore them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean you know as they point out. Th- 
that, you know, there's stuff to do with the content that can make a site inaccessible, even if the basic structure of the theme is accessible. So there's, you know, there's a limit to what they can control, but that uh, these seem like very good uh, minimums uh, to require and, um, and just generally good uh, guidelines for, for people. And so, um, uh, uh, so uh, yes, it, it's interesting in this tavern piece that it, it says that, you know, the theme authors discussed this uh, imposing accessibility requirements as a potential response to WordPress's growing problem with crippleware. Um, so I, I want to hear what Morton Hang on, what do you reckon of this one, Morton? Go on. You're muted, Morton. There we go. Oh, it's about fucking time. Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to be sorry. So this started, um, for those of you with long memories, I asked Matt about this. You realized the emails, the amount of emails you've just... So I asked Matt about this at WordCamp US in 2013. I wrote a huge article about this in 2014, which was uh, covered extensively in the WordPress news cycle. Um, there's a huge article on uh, WordCamp, on uh, WB Tavern about it. Back then, the argument is the same as it is now, that it's flat out irresponsible for WordPress to ship uh, to users themes that aren't accessible. The difference between then and now is that um, it took, what, six years for people to understand that this isn't a bullshit argument. Um, and I think people have finally woken up to this real realization that WordPress has moral, uh, it, WordPress itself has moral responsibility in relation to its users. Now, specifically, this actually resulted from Justin Tadlock just reaching the end of his rope on Twitter <clears throat> last week. And he started this tweet thread where he was talking about how Word, the WordPress theme directory is full of crippleware. Basically, they're themes that have no purpose. Like you, you download them and then all they do is try to upsell you to some other theme or they have a theme preview that basically can't do, you can't do without buying something. Um, right. And all the oh, things just basically garbage. And there was a huge discussion about how do you reasonably start limiting what's there? So how do you start from thousands and thousands of themes and then cull them down to a reasonable limit and start over. And one of the suggestions was, hey, why don't we implement this accessibility thing and say, actually, all themes must be accessible. Um, and in the past, the argument has been, it's way too hard. Uh, there are no people in the theme review team able to actually review the accessibility components. And it's just way too difficult to do. And we're, like, we're putting too much of an onus on the theme authors. Um, of, of all of those arguments, the only valid one is there's no one able to actually do the review part. Um, now, what's happened is they have said that they want to implement four main features, which is like the skip link and uh, keyboard accessible menus and a couple other things that are very easy to test. And there, it's a smart strategy because they're saying, since we don't have uh, the manpower or woman power or human power to do the full review, uh, what we can do is slowly increment the um, requirement over a four-month four period and then say to theme others, here's exactly what you need to do. And things like the skip link is dumb easy. Like it's so straightforward. You just add a link to your document. <laughs> That's it. And some CSS. There's nothing complicated about it. Um, so 
it's good. It takes forever for WordPress to move forward, unfortunately, but it's moving in the right direction. And hopefully this will result in the theme directory first being reduced dramatically to get rid of a bunch of crap that shouldn't be there. And then theme authors finally getting on board with accessibility and doing their job. So, Yeah, I think What do you reckon, Spencer? I kind of take this story with the other two stories we're going to talk about, including the headless WordPress as well as the you know, uh, don't put a bunch of crap in the admin area notices, which is, I agree. And by the way, Justin goes along with Triple J and the other guys, including Morton, of the, with the long enough standing to make opinions on stuff. And Justin is always no bullshit about it. So the fact that he kind of reached the end of his rope, I've felt for a long time, I don't understand why themes exist anymore, to be quite frank. It seems in today's world, whether it's a headless WordPress CMS or whether it's just using a page builder, the reason to have themes has completely evolved from an all-in-one solution to something that used to have some of the form and some of the function to now, like, do we need more than one or two kind of base themes? Like 99% of the themes in the directory right now are redundant, duplicative, and stupid. And the reason is because it's just a marketing tool when you have to do as I say, not as I do with WordPress to get attention. Because Jetpack can still jam their thing in your face but if you're a regular theme author to try to survive, you got to try to win them over for the you know, attention in the free repository. However, if you take all three of these things together and they do modify the things that admins are allowed to do, and they do make it where you have to pass a test in order to continue being listed, I see that as progress because I'd love a repository that has five things in it today and any new things that get added on are accessible, not junk filled and not an advertisement. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be. What do you reckon, Adrian? Uh, well, it all sounds all well and good. Uh, I'm just thinking uh, as a plugin developer, I'm not a theme developer and most likely will probably never be a theme developer, uh, but I am very well rooted in the plugin development community. And something that I have noticed developing plugins is that the, the requirements are much more stringent for theme developers than they are for plugin developers. And and part of uh, the ecosystem, I find, is one of one of WordPress's greatest um, uh, greatest advantages is also one of its greatest weaknesses is that as a plugin developer, we have a thousand different ways to reach the same end goal in UI design accessibility. And there's, there's literally so much or so many different ways that we can do things if, or, or different coding standards that we can adhere to um, that it makes it really, that it makes, um, how do I put this? It makes developing plugins that look the same or, or feel the same as WordPress for all of the different kinds of tools that are out there, extremely difficult uh, and makes it uh, very difficult to inst- instantiate those guidelines for accessibility, readability, translatability across the thousands of plugins that are currently in the repository. I'd like to see WordPress uh, really start to create almost an extended core for plugin developers that they'd be able to install in their plugin that provides the building blocks for the accessibility, the translatability, the readability, and all of those things so that plugin developers can make plugins that look, feel, and act like WordPress. Uh, I've already started to like... develop those uh, that extended core in the plugins that we ship so that everything throughout all of the, our developers and people who create add-ons for our plugins as well as the plugins we create for ourselves feel the same and, and are, are 
architecturally similar across the board. It makes it really easy for us to review, do quality control, translate, and all of those things. So while this is awesome for people who are in the theme development space, I'd love to see that, that transition over to the plugin review space because there's just so much variability between across all of the thousands of plugins that are out there that it's really hard for essentially the review team to, to quantify what is a good plugin, what is a bad plugin, and what really needs to be updated in order to provide the best WordPress user experience. That's great. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, like um, everybody has said so far, this is long overdue. I'm kind of surprised that this wasn't a requirement to begin with. I just think it's interesting that uh, this started as... Uh, a discussion on how to get rid of of crippleware themes that are just upselling the pro version of their themes. Uh, but however, it needs to get done. I mean, I, I, I do think it is overdue, especially if you're, um, you know, trying to uh, provide uh, a platform for 34% of the web or whatever it is. This is just a responsible uh, thing to do. You can't be lagging behind. On, on yeah. base, well, base, I, don't, base, yeah. I just don't think it affects themes. It affects plugins. There's loads of plugins. I know it's difficult. Oh, it's it, yes, it absolutely affects plugins. And, and Adrian makes a good point. And I think it may have been um, Justin again making a proposal about sort of creating libraries for uh, theme developers right. to use. And one would imagine that the same thing would would make sense for plugin developers, although. It's probably a lot easier to define a consistent set of libraries you might use in a theme um, because, you know, there's such a, a huge range of what you can do with a, a plugin. But there have been, you know, I, I, I've certainly been, I'm not even a plugin developer. I've been aware that there are guidelines where you're supposed to, like, make your plugin admin look like the rest of the WordPress admin and not You're supposed like, to. Yeah. Like, no, nobody yeah, really checks. Enforcement is a little, um, yeah, iffy. Uh, and, and then you're, you know, sitting in there trying to modify your uh, admin for your clients because they're going to go nuts with the 58, you know, different plugin setting items in their dashboard. Well, this is the freedom versus autonomy problem, right? That WordPress is ostensibly a completely open ecosystem where you can do whatever you want, but then the result is people will do whatever they want. And then you need to, if you try to impose any kind of regulation or rule on it, people freak out. Um, and if you look at the, like, the discussion around the accessibility thing has been ongoing for, what, eight years? And you look at the discussion and it really is a lot of people saying, you know, I will fight to the death to protect my right to do bad things on the internet, basically. Um, like, this, this the, even the concept of someone making a rule they have to follow, just by the fact that it's coming from someone else is enough for people to get super angry. <laughs> but so here's the thing, like, the people that try to impose that rule are fighting a massive uphill battle, and we are, like, there is a leadership failure in WordPress around this that, like, Matt has been offered multiple opportunities to step in front of this and say, hey, we need to make sure WordPress is accessible. He fails every single time. Like, he just does not do it. I don't know why, but he refuses to just say, yes, plugins and themes should be accessible. And then the same thing goes like <clears throat> at that WordCamp in 2013, Matt was talking about how admin gets overrun by crap in 2013. Right? And we're in 2019 and we're still having the same conversation because there's a structural problem internally in WordPress that there is no one making decisions that actually move the platform forward, except now Justin Tadlock, who's just had enough. 
right? You know, wouldn't it be easier? I mean, if you take that same extension, uh, same concept and extend it, because I'm on board with that exact concept. If you want to be in the repository, you have to use the modular pre-made stuff to build all the admin things. And you have to essentially comply with the structural symmetry. It's like if you took Legos, if, if people could just decide, well, I'm going to make my own Lego blocks and melt down plastic into odd shapes, and yet none of them are forming with, you know, to fit with the rest of the Lego blocks, the whole system would fail. But here at WordPress, we've got this 27,000 pieces of crap in the repository for themes or otherwise because people aren't all lining up with the basics. I mean, my personal gripe on the admin side are the notices because I have to spend half my effort, you know, deprecating notices that are rogue. And on the theme side, I don't think it's crap. I just think it's redundant. Like how many different ways do you need to make that same basic layout that everybody wants for, you know, a blankety blank responsive theme. So both of those can be solved. If you just say, look, Hey guys, here's the new game. You make a, whatever you want, themes or plugins, but the standard stuff on the dashboard has to be made with the Legos and then use all your creativity for the look and the feel or the special features. But don't be crying if you're not allowed in the repository when you go rogue and it's not either, you know, friendly for accessibility or if it does some crazy, you know, pop up. Seen 120 different ways to instantiate a notice on the WordPress dash, admin dashboard. They, they could very easily implement an extended core that allows plugin developers to add notice. Here's your code. Here's the text that goes nice. in it. And that's, that's what they can use and no other ways to add notices. So I think an extended core for plugin developers and theme developers that has exactly as Ben said, all of those Lego blocks. Don't mix mega blocks in there. Nobody likes mega blocks. Use what's provided. And uh, if that's what you want to do, do to be in the, in the repository, then that's what you do. And I, as a plugin developer, I would be fully supportive of this because it makes debugging and testing and everything just so much easier and, and avoid so many potential plugin conflicts and, I'm I'm all on board. <laughs> all right. That's what they're trying to do, right? I mean, there is an existing system for admin notices. People just choose not to use them because exactly. they're, they're not effective for advertisement and taking exactly. over the entire interface. There are, uh, and now they're they've started this new thing. What's it called? Popcorn, like that that uh, the new bubbles that pop up inside Gutenberg that they're supposed to be using for something. I think it's called Clippy. <laughs> yeah, like something, something ill-advised like that, it's, it's which is guy, just another a, another API for admin notices. It's like, mean, <laughs> while someone is trying to rein this in, there are other people that are building new ways of doing the same annoying thing, right? Yeah. Right. On to the next story. Road tripping with Amazon no bags. Oh, yeah. I just love the title. What do you reckon of this one, John? What do you reckon of this one? The nomads. Yeah, I thought it was really intriguing. Um, you know, um, and, and basically, like, there's people that go around and let's say that Toys R Us is, is going bankrupt. They'll go and scoop up all uh, this stuff off the shelf and especially looking for um, rare or limited items. And then they'll put that on the Amazon store and then... It's, it's something they, out of like Mad Max, yeah. isn't it? The nomads, they descend on the dying store and strip it out. It's yeah, not a, a dying like store, by the way. Scouring, I want to yeah, clarify. They go it's not a camp- dying store. It's, a, it's an arbitrage. They go to remote chain stores and they look for products where there's an arbitrage opportunity. For example, like Monopoly has a special version of the board that's like Game of Thrones Monopoly. So they'll go to like Poughkeepsie, Iowa and hit every 
like country-based Toys R Us because there's a $50 difference between the sale price of it there and what you can sell it for on Amazon. It's not necessarily that they're going out of business, but it's like they're looking for products where there's a spread between what they can get it for. I just, my, I just thought my image was more romantic. Yeah, exactly. And, and what you're saying is right. So well, they have like a little skin. You know, clearly yeah. from the story, they, they do go to the stores that are going out of business because of course any of, you know, they're going to have some products that will soon not be available again. But yeah. True. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's kind of a fascinating, uh, you know. Wait, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say this. But, uh, we're, just, we're just servants of the dark star. Amazon. Right. Not, not, uh, not, not something everybody would want to do. No. <laughs> what do you reckon, Adrian? What did you reckon in this little story? It was quite a long story, actually. Wasn't it? it was a long story. I, th- I think I made it about two-thirds of the way through and then skipped uh, the rest, to be completely honest. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting lifestyle living out of a van. Um, not for me. I love Amazon. That's pretty much all I have to say on it. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to put this to board. So the reason why I chose it, because it was, it, I was struggling to find any really interesting stories, but I still think I managed to find something interesting. But I just thought it just kind of, it did something for me, Maud, and it just kind of summed up the age in a way. Can you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, you know, it's a, a lot of like younger no, people. They don't afford houses. They don't. They got to figure out other ways to to kind of get by and make do. Amazon provides a great way to be able to to essentially have a storefront without any overhead at all, except for whatever it is that you're selling. So if you're just living out of van, you're going to shops, you're picking stuff up. It's a living. No, oh, um, Walton, what did you think? Do you know that Twitter account called Late Stage Capitalism? <laughs> I yeah, I'm going to go follow where, it right that's now. That's where this fits. This is like the end stage of a... Dis- oh, he's frozen a little bit. Um, he's, are, you back, are you back with us? <laughs> doing something productive. Like, instead of doing... Instead of doing something productive, whether they're surfing around the, the world, trying to find products <clears throat> that are available to people in small communities, t- buying them away from the small communities and selling them on the internet to rich kids who just want to have the coolest crap. Like, there's, there's something fundamentally wrong with our society, and this is just an example of what that is. Like, this is, this is a symptom of a disease. Yeah, you can tell the end of Rome is approaching, can't you? <laughs> okay, I, I have to run because I have another meeting. Oh, it was, right. it was fun while it lasted. I'll Good be back next you, I'll see you. Hopefully you're feeling better. Yeah, Bye. I sure hope so. Bye. Bye. The end of times. Uh, um, well, I think um, before we go for a break, I want to talk about my great sponsor, and that's Kinster Hosting. What is Kinster Hosting? You might say, my beloved listeners and viewers. Well, Kinster Hosting, they provide fantastic hosting just for WordPress. And if you've got a membership site, WooCommerce, you've got uh, courses, you've got a learning management system, and you need some decent hosting, go to Kinster because they're the bee's knees, as I would say in North London. Uh, um, basically, um, they provide all the technology that you're looking for. They, they build their platform on Google Cloud, but what you get is a superb interface and really fantastic 24-7 support from people that really care and know what they're talking about. That would be a change, wouldn't it? And they're really very easy to get hold of as well. They don't hide 
their support. Um, so if that sounds interesting, go over to kinsta.com, see what they've got to offer, and get your hosting from them, and also Twitter them and tell them that you heard about them on WP Tonic. We're going to go for our break. We're going to come back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com just like the podcast we're coming back it's been an interesting conversation um i'm sure it's going to continue so on to the next story the future of websites headless cmss so what did you think of this one spence well we talked about this before in uh, other shows but even today the the benefit of wordpress really comes from the fact that now they've sort of very clearly bifurcated out the front end from the back end. And for many people, the back end is the best part. But I mean, it's the part that has the power and the functionality. So in this case, although it's not ready, there's lots of ways that you can do stuff with that that attach to the outside world, whether it's a REST API or a JavaScript thing, or I forget the, the name of that one system we were talking about, but, uh, but again, it was based upon either JavaScript or, or something that was all on the client side. Bottom line is that if you have a need, an esoteric need to do this, it's nice to know that it works because it saves you all the time of setting up any other kind of a LAMP configuration. And even though it's PHP-based, which a lot of the latest and greatest Node.js and other people would look down on, I think it's a really solid foundation that's for many companies and entrepreneurs at the level where they can actually get their hands dirty on the code. So I think it's an exciting option. Uh, there, it's very esoteric still, though. I don't see any reason to bother with it at the moment, but it's nice to know it exists. Yeah. And I bet you there'll be a lot of plugin authors who will make use of this in the future. Well, apparently there already are. I stuck another yeah. uh, uh, link in the, uh, the Slack pointing out uh, that you know there was an article in the Tavern talking about you know plugins for connecting WordPress with some of these. Uh, sort of static site generators and static Jamstack and Netlify is the right. Name, the net, right? Net, I actually have that up is, here. Is, you know, what, what, what was the name, Sally? What was the name of the company we were talking about a couple of shows ago? Where the the guy who used to be a teacher for Team Treehouse, the yoga guy, was was behind, and it. it was a JavaScript based something that made static sites. Do you remember the name of that product? Oh gosh, there's so many of them. I'm, you're I'm, you're I'm, talking I'm, about Gatsby, and and the guy is Zach Gordon. Zach Gordon, right. And so, like, you know, we're talking about in the same vein, right? It's it's really cool. And if they make it that it goes round trip where you could just go into WooCommerce, set it up, your membership site has static landing pages, I'm like, high five. But until that time, there's such a, a gap of esoteric right. I mean, it's, knowledge. It's, yeah, you, you, it's kind of oversold in the in the article that, that Jonathan picked out and in various others, you know, the future of websites. Well, the future of which websites? The future of whose websites? Future because, of static websites. Right, because, of course, you know, part of the reason for using a dynamic system like WordPress is because you have dynamic content like, oh, e-commerce, you know, uh, memberships, memberships uh, uh, even, you know, comments. 
uh, you know, contact forms, a lot of things that, that seem quite basic don't operate properly on a, on a completely static site. Right. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, there are advantages to headless in certain circumstances. Apps, for example. Um, right. Or if you, I mean, if you've got an, an enterprise sort of a setup where you want to manage your content centrally somewhere and be able to publish it on a bunch of different channels, like not just your website, but, you know, over here and over there and over there, then being able to, you know, to, to do that and to, to pull everything into to one place via things like the API is really handy. But, you know, this is still a thing for like, yeah, you have to have, you know, dedicated full-time developers to, to make this stuff operate. Um, I just want to provide a, a quick example. Uh, uh, WordPress has been operating as uh, a portion of a headless CMS for a very, very, very long time. If anybody's ever hosted a podcast on their website, that's sort of an on, uh, uh, a headless CMS because the podcast just gets aggregated to whatever podcast sources you have it hooked up with, like Spotify, iTunes, and you know the content gets served up via an API to whatever um, other places. Like that. So if you if you're not if you have absolutely zero idea what anybody here is talking about with APIs and aggregates and and headless CMS, then just think about it like if you have a podcast on your website, it's essentially just instead of a podcast, it's the content that you create on the back end of your CMS: blog articles, posts, media, etc. Yeah, and and you know, in, in the old days, pretty much the only thing you you could use for that was RSS, uh, and uh, you know now <clears throat> with the uh, WordPress REST API, you have the, you know, the JSON feeds in, instead, which are a little more efficient and, and flexible. Uh, and, you know, no doubt in another five years or so, you know, somebody will invent some, some new method of doing this, which, you know, may or may not be better because, you know, it's, it's just because something is recent does not always make it an improvement. Yeah, um, before I put it over to John, I think... I saw the contradiction in these stories, like the first one we were discussing where you're trying to get in, rein in a lot of you know different ways of doing stuff on themes and plugins. And then you go another part of the silo of the WordPress kind of community like Scott Ball, you know, where they're, they're building apps. So they're looking at head, you know, total yes, diversity. There's, 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 it seems to be a bit of a contradiction. contradiction between the... You know the push to get the API and the and the headless movement and the the separation of the front end and the back end and all of the focus on Gutenberg and making your front end and back end more like each other and and uh, you know on the publishing side. But there are also going to be for the foreseeable a lot of people uh, you know who don't want to go the headless route. That's that's always going to be a more Specialized yeah, thing. I would have thought so. I would have thought. What do you thought, John? John, right. So this, I mean, this article really reminded me of uh, podcasts that I used to listen to, you know, five or six years ago, uh, where they would talk about content management in enterprise uh, type of situations or very large nonprofits, where everything gets dumped into uh, a database or you you know, set up whatever the information is. Um, and then it gets ported out to, d to different places. Uh, it could be like in the app, it could be in a website, it could be, you know, somewhere else. But 
that portability of information is essentially what a headless CMS is, is just having a place to put all the info, like logging into WordPress and, and writing uh, a, a post, and then having that information be portable uh, in different places. So if you ever hear headless CMS, that's an easy way to think about it. So I do think that more and more this is going to be uh, used for like smaller businesses. I mean, this is probably not anything that they really need, but this is as you get into like a larger organization or a larger company, uh, th this is definitely something uh, that, that becomes yeah. uh, necessary. I totally agree with you because I think, you know, you've got the kind of website, but increasingly they're, they're becoming kind of um, wrappers really for also applications. Most websites for organizations, you know, especially my area, learning management systems or e-commerce or a host of other things, the website is a front-facing, um, um, you know, brochure, but then there's a ton of internal functionality that the organization wants to do, doesn't it, John? So it's more, it becomes more of a, a platform for applications, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is. Right, on to the next story. Um, what two big studies tell us about the state of local marketing? What do you think some of the key factors, things that you found from this article, John? Yeah, so the, and this is something that I run across too with a lot of clients, is uh, the biggest thing is, I, I think the study shows that the majority of people, they're up on their Google My Business or they have it claimed um, and they're getting reviews there. But some of the other ones, they're kind of lag, lagging behind. Uh, Facebook seems to have the biggest engagement. Like, so a lot of people are running their small businesses from their Facebook page, or that's the one place that they actually log into. And I can testify that that... And there are a lot of them that don't have a website at all, just a Facebook page. Yeah. Bonkers, totally bonkers there, but there yeah. we go. <laughs> but I can tell, I can tell you one of the things, well, uh, let me put it like this. Um, you know, I had a conversation with uh, another colleague uh, in the in the web industry very recently, and they were trying to figure out how, why, like one of their clients wasn't ranking higher for, you know, certain search terms in the, in their local market, and I looked into it really quickly, and I noticed that, um, you know, some of these satellite sites like the Yelp, the YP.com, all these you know, different places besides their Google My Business and their website, their business categories are inconsistent. And like they didn't lie in this case, but in a lot of cases, some people will not have a Yelp or they won't have any of these other satellite sites. Uh, and, and the article mentions a bunch of home service ones like House and Home and Advisor and Angie's List. But those ones are usually what, you know, help uh, places rank. So always be looking at those secondary things because it's not strictly about your website and your Google My Business. There's all these other things that Google pulls from to develop a confidence about what your entity, your business is actually about. What do you reckon about this, Spencer? 
I'm really bearish on search engines. And, you know, again, with all deference to the experts like John, I can't say that I'm like, I know the facts, but I, I will say in my experience, especially with Google, that it's become essentially an entire page of paid advertisement. And from that standpoint, I just look at the situation of it really makes no difference to me how you go about it, but you're not going to get anywhere unless you're willing to pay for the you know, play. We've seen examples in recent news articles about a, a popular backlash against Yelp. In fact, you'll see I, two examples. One was the guy who, it was a New York City restaurateur who was getting shaken down. And there's also a guy who's very famous for fixing Macintoshes on um, uh, the internet named Lewis Rossman. Yeah. And they, they got shaken down by Yelp salespeople and they backlash. They told their customers essentially... 50% discount if you give me one stars. I think we, we talked we, about that one on the show. We talked about that a couple episodes and, ago. Right. And then Lewis, right. And then Lewis Rossman did the same thing. He called out the salesperson with the recording of her and what she did and like it used her name and showed that like her associate came. And the point is, is that I think people in the social world now recognize that you take Yelp with a grain of salt. But at the same time, when you look at Google and you honestly look for something, it's really absurd the results you get. The entire page is all paid advertisement. There's just virtually nothing organic there. So, well, I think it, I think uh, it, it, it depends on the searches uh, you're doing, doesn't it? Oh, he's been he's been cut off a little bit there. What do you reckon? Oh, oh, I just want to add this in. Since but you're correct, talking about like why? local business situations. Did I drop? He's breaking up. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, you've, I, been, going, you've been freezing and dropping out a bit. I, I apologize. I'm going through a patch. I might be. Okay. I might have to drop off. All right. I, I, I I definitely want to hand it to the next person, but I just want to say the reason Google's doing that is because they they only made like 11.5 billion last quarter, and they need to make 12 to satisfy their investors. So, right. oh, let me get out the tiny violin. You know, one thing that struck me is that, you know, there's, it's, it's, there's likely to be difference, differences in results between the, uh, the small businesses and the franchises. Cause you know, one of these was a study of big franchises and like, I'm sorry, if you're a big franchise, that has got a store in every strip mall. You're not necessarily relying that much on search of any kind for people to find you. Uh, because they see you all over uh, and they know who you are and, and there's advertising done by the parent company and, and so on. Um, and, you know, even if you're not putting a lot of effort in, you know, you can go to the map and say, hey, where's the nearest UPS store? Where's the nearest Domino's pizza? What, you know, whatever. Um, and so there may not be a lot of effort put in by them individual franchises but if you're a you know if you if you're an actual small business one off unique in your area then yeah you're more vulnerable to the shakedowns and and Yelp's behavior is is just appalling I, I, hardly, I hardly ever look at Yelp because of of this history you know it's my you know I might occasionally if it's if it's a restaurant or some occasionally, but I'm extremely dubious about any of their reviews. I just use it as a to confirm other sources that I'm looking just at. Get the phone number, right? And did you notice now when you search for a restaurant in particular, if you go into Google and type the name of the restaurant, it gives you Yelp 
as the links more often than not, because Yelp has paid Google to be placed there. The only time that I can say that Google is well, and Yelp itself gets a lot more traffic than you know any individual restaurants. My my point is, depending on the business, there's certain things that may be esoteric enough it'll show up. Like if you're manufacturing a helicopter bolt or something, you type in the name of that bolt or the number. But if you look at it for like business purposes. The, the system is gamed to the extent that it's worthless, other than, like you say, oh, I know what's the address of that place or what's the phone number, or I want to make a reservation using Open Table or something. The only thing that has worked for me recently, which I will say I think they did right, is if you have to go on an airline flight, I've personally noticed that if you type into a Google search bar, the you know Chicago to San Francisco, June 7th, that the grid for flight checking is exceptionally oh, useful. Google, Google Flights is a very useful service. Yes. But, it doesn't include Southwest, but um, it, it, right. it's still pretty good. But, but for, for, for paid advertisement, I mean, my belief is that like anybody who is spending any kind of real money at the small entrepreneur, small business level, you just you might as well just spend it on going right to the ads or paying them to put you somewhere because trying to get there organically is just a fool's errand. Again, with respect to those who do SEO for a living, I just can't imagine how you can overcome that without a multi-million dollar ad budget. Even Neil, Patel, even Neil Patel gave into that because if you look at his latest shindig, Neil cops to this. He says when he compares what's the effectiveness of social media advertising, search engine, blah, blah, blah. He recently published on his website. He even cops to the fact that like, you have like a 1% to 3% chance of ever getting listed if you spend all your money on trying to get traditional people uh, to your place through organic means. He just goes right to just spend your money on Facebook. Ta-da. That's his conclusion. And I'd agree. Well, if, oh. I think if anybody is going to extract uh, uh, any points of action from this article, if you are a small business with a brick and mortar location, go create a Yelp account, go list your, go grab your business on Google and go grab your business on Facebook. Reply to right. review. Yeah, that's about it, really. Points of action. Yeah, Facebook, exactly. Google, Yelp, respond to reviews. Those are the actions you need if you have a brick-and-mortar business. And yeah. I've, got to, I've got to say to you, John, you know, you said that in your experience, most businesses do claim their um, Google business page. That's totally the opposite of my experience, John, is that most people, because I think Google have made it really quite... Um, but my it's been mostly the real estate industry, so... It's, it's a bit different than probably your experience, John, is that Google, you know, used to, they used to phone you up to claim it. Now, you, now they, they got rid of that and they only yeah. send you this insane card, which looks like a yes, bit... I have to say, I, I yeah. wish I'd never, uh, I'd never claimed mine because, you know, the local business stuff is not really at all useful yeah. to me. And, you know, I get these yeah. pointless... Uh, pointless messages from Google about, you know, your, you know, post your holiday opening hours. And it's like, yeah, n none of that matters. No, exactly. But, you know, for a really local brick and mortar. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's very, it's very it's extremely important, important for, but, for some types of business. It's just, uh, yeah. yeah. But I think the Google, but Yelp, you know, the businesses where they have domination to some extent, I understand that, you know, they're just, they, they, they truly are the cockroaches of the internet. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> there's nothing good about that organisation. And unless I was desperate to feed my children, I would never work with the fuckers because, you know, I just 
need a shower every four showers a day if I was working for them. Uh, um, but there we go. That's that's my opinion. I'm sure you're lovely people. Um, on to the next story. Um, face oh, some more cockroaches. Uh, Facebook. Yes, Libya. speaking of <laughs> Facebook, Libya could be dead on arrival if India stands by proposed ban. What did you think of this one, Adrian? Yikes. I wouldn't want to be at head office right now. That's all I can really say. I'm not... Yeah, yeah. My, my personal feeling is serves them right for getting into cryptocurrency, but... I'm not, I'm not a huge um, user or believer or purchaser of any form of cryptocurrency. So I'm, I'm far from the world's leading authority on whether this is a good or a bad thing. I, I mean, it's a bad thing for Facebook. I'm not sure if it's a bad thing for everybody else or a good thing, or, or I'm not really sure of the politics behind it either. So I'm just going to say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I don't have a monetary investment in Facebook success at the moment. Yeah. What do you reckon, Spencer? <laughs> I mean, this is uh, the old what goes around comes around, right? I mean, Facebook laid out their their whole business model for the world to see as it is. And now India is saying, well, I got a couple billion reasons why you're not going to be doing business here. And uh, too bad for you. Because like, would any country of sound mind allow Facebook in as an alternative to their native currency? I mean, I would never. Hello? <laughs> You talk about national sovereignty. You might as well just get kind of blow your brains out, won't you? Nope. Come on in. Let let all of the people be ripped off by you and have their phones infiltrated so that we can actually stabilize our economy. Come on, we welcome them. Why not? Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? You know, it sounds like a bunch. Sorry, Sally, I cut in, did I? That's all right. I, you know, sort of same as, as everybody. It's like, yeah, really, like Facebook with all the problems we've had, you really want them to like be controlling your money? <laughs> oh, they've got a record of great authority and transparency. Yes, I mean, isn't, you know. isn't part of cryptocurrency like about privacy? <laughs> well, my, maybe they should go into healthcare, you know, Facebook, <laughs> uh, Facebook care. You know. I think I think you're really on a good point there, Sally. Is it's another duality. I've noticed in this show so far, there's been a lot of duality. I think you had a key point there, Sally. You know, cryptocurrency is supposed to be about you know keeping your data secure, and that, but then you've got a company like Facebook, which has sold people stuff. Well, to I, guess, I mean, I, I, I suppose this is all part of what, uh, what Zuckerberg said about you know sort of the future of of Facebook is like you know private chat or whatever you know whatever. Well, what do you not know about that, Mark? Freaking hell, would you know about privacy and? Right. I'd just love to have a conversation with him and just say, you know, can you just stop this shit, Mark? <laughs> just say it. You know, you just want the money. That's all you, you know, you're just a pirate of classical proportions, you know. Uh, um, just revel in being what you are. You know, don't attempt to be anything else than a, a 20th century buccaneer pirate that cut any throat that comes around. On your shore, your boat, basically. Uh, what do you reckon, John? Yeah, so I don't trust crypto. Um, Google Mount Gox if if you want <laughs> proof of why you sh- it's, you're better off just lighting your money on fire. <laughs> uh, and I don't trust Facebook. So, you know, India's making the right call here. They're smarter than our government is. 
I mean, uh, look at what a great job Facebook has done keeping democracy intact in uh, the U.S. So, I mean, who who wouldn't trust them to uh, become the the default bank of of uh, what is set to be like the the uh, second largest country largest country over the next twenty years? That's all this is about. Yeah, I mean, Facebook needs to go. I don't know about that, uh, Ram, but it just kind of. But the, but the players that um, they had this um, foundation set up in Switzerland, and then um, and when I listened to some experts that look at looked at the um, documentation which Facebook provided and the construct, and they just started laughing on air about you know. Um, but some real big players have you know publicly stated that they would be putting money in and they would be part of this assortium. Um, well, Facebook- of course, because it's just all about greed. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, of course they're putting money in. They think that they can make money out of it. They don't care who gets burned. I think, good call, India. You did yeah. the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, on to the next lull. Uh, we've got time. No, we haven't, actually. Let's, let's go to our recommendations of the week. And mine is old... No, it's MemberPress, which of the membership plugins, I, I think it's one of the best ones. Um, I've been using it on a couple of projects. There's other ways of doing this now. But um, if you're looking for a rock-solid membership pre- um, plugin, I think you probably won't go wrong in using MemberPress. It's not suitable for every job, it's, you know, but if it's a bog-standard member membership website where you're looking for really good support and that go and have a look and they haven't given any money to give them this recommendation which is dreadful isn't it listeners and viewers um sally have you got anything to share with the listeners and viewers uh, yes i i wanted to share uh the uh wp munich blocks uh, uh gutenberg uh, plug-in um I had been looking at it because it has a basic uh, event block uh, for use in a case where you don't need like a whole event plugin. And I, ha- I haven't even installed it, but I laughed so hard looking at the demo of their pricing table, um, uh, which says, you know, cheap plan. Oh my God, this one is so cheap. We're not really sure why you should choose this. You're better than that. Uh, reasonable plan. Viewed alone, this would seem rather steep, but compared to the other two options, this is pretty okay. Expensive plan, you know, 199 euros per second. Even if you would have that kind of money, choosing this kind of plan is just mad. Who buys this? No one does. And, uh, you know, so it's like, just like, even if the plugin is complete crap, it's worth going and checking out the site because of the sense of humor. I'll make sure you put the link in the chat, will you? I did. Oh, everybody, don't put it in the... Um, in their Slack channel, put it in the chat, can you? Um, Adrian, have you got anything you want to share with the listeners and viewers? I do. Um, usually I am a big purveyor of um, open source and readily available tools that are free. However, this time I am going to uh, recommend a pay monthly subscription service called Canva, which most people may have heard before. Uh, generally, the, the the standard in design is like Corel Draw or Photoshop, or if you're really cheap like me, uh, you like Paint.net. 
but I recently actually just bit the bullet and signed up for Canva. And I find it incredibly easy to uh, create a whole bunch of, you know, whatever essentially artwork that it is for blog posts. Or uh, in my case, I need to create a lot of uh, images for the plugins and extensions that we sell, all of our artwork for our WordPress repository plugins. Uh, and they have lots of like free icons and stuff. It's just drag and drop. And it's very, I actually find it very quick and very easy. And it takes a lot of like the, the loading of Photoshop and then the saving and the exporting, the, the hassle of that process out of the equation. And it saves me a ton of time when creating artwork. So I'm going to recommend Canva. Uh, it has been incredibly useful and I think it's worth the price. What got anything for us, John, that you want to recommend? Yeah, I do. Uh, there was a podcast that came out a couple days ago, or a podcast episode. I don't know if you know this, like the people from Basecamp, they were looking for an SEO consultant. They have never done an SEO before. And they this podcast episode talks about the process of them uh, when they got down to the final candidates, things that stood out to them and things that uh, they liked and didn't like. Uh, so I, I put that link in the show notes as well as I, I did a video uh, with my take on on what they um, talked about. So go check out the episode. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'll check that out. Yeah. And our foreign correspondent on the road, Spencer, if you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Absolutely. If you're thinking of doing a membership site with MemberPress, you owe it to yourself and your customers to use WP Fusion because the only way to give a personal journey through a membership site is to have marketing automation connected so you know everything and anything that the person is doing so you can deliver to them exactly what they need when they need it. WP Fusion makes it dead bang simple to connect MemberPress and your entire WordPress WooCommerce ecosystem to your favorite CRM, whether it's MailChimp, Entreport, ActiveCampaign, Drip, and so forth. Check it out. There's a free demo. And here's the bonus. If you go to the front page, you can not only get your own free demo site fully loaded, but you can also schedule a free call with moi, remotely located Monday what, through what, Thursday. What, what, what more could you ask for? I mean, come on. I can't make myself any more free than free. But in all truth, I've actually helped a lot of people with just sorting through what it is that they want to do. There's no obligation, nothing to buy. But if you do have any kind of WordPress site with membership or marketing automation needs or WooCommerce and so forth, go check out this plugin. It really changes the game because it eliminates about 90% of what you need to use. And you only need a few key plugins to really have a powerful setup. That sounds great. We're going to wrap up the show now, folks. If you really want to support the show, go to iTunes, give us a review. Um, if it's funny, I actually will read it out if it makes me laugh. Um, Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at WPFangirl.com. Uh, you can come to the East Bay WordPress Meetup. Just look for it on meetup.com. And uh, I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and also on Instagram, where I mostly post pictures of the cats. Yeah. John, <laughs> how, John, how can you... <laughs> Where's the cat? Where, where? She, didn't, she didn't come to the podcast today. I don't know why. She was on my meeting last night. There we go. John, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, you can find me at my website, Lockdown SEO, and also go on YouTube and search hashtag Lockdown SEO, where I'm publishing videos every single day of the year. Fantastic. And Adrian, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? 
Well, if you're looking for a marketing automation plugin that installs right into WordPress to allow you to send your emails, man, uh, maintain your contacts, database, build forms, and all of that crazy good stuff, then you can head on over to Groundhog with two Gs at the end dot io uh, to download our free plugin, also available on the WordPress repository. Or you can head on over to Facebook or Twitter at Groundhog WP. Again, Groundhog spelled with two Gs at the end WP to ask any questions that you might have or just see you know who's in our tribe and how people are using it to grow their business. Why did you choose the name Groundhog? Uh, there's a there's actually a whole backstory. Um, my favorite movie. I'll I'll get through it as quickly as I can. Uh, my favorite movie is Groundhog Day, uh, featuring Bill Murray, where he gets in this uh, stuck uh, in a loop of the same day, living the same day over and over again. And every day, he has to make little tweaks in his life until he lives out as what is essentially the perfect day where he breaks the loop. Um, I, I I love the movie so much, and it's a very actual spiritual movie. It's voted the most spiritual movie ever in American culture, or produced here in America. That says that bloody says a lot, doesn't it? It says a lot. Um, yeah. It says a whole lot about America, yes. Yeah, and it's it's actually in the historical archives of uh, of a historically so, relevant film in America as well. So you saw this film and you like it. It's spiritual. Why did you choose it? Because every day that you know he has to make changes in his life, and it's that's a lot like the the struggle of the entrepreneur. Every day they're changing things and they're testing things, and you know they experience drawbacks. They experience a lot of failures, but every day they make changes and they and they improve their situation daily. And Groundhog is a tool that allows entrepreneurs to be able to do that. Uh, we allow uh, a lot of customization, a lot of changes to be made. They can add this tool in and immediately start improving their situation daily until they eventually break that struggle and they they start growing their business all right i'll follow it so i just had to ask uh, spencer um how can people find out more about you and what you're up to I'll be spending the last four weeks of my summer calling local businesses that aren't listing properly on yelp and asking them for money and uh seeing how i do you probably be very wealthy <laughs> right so, so um, see me over there Right, thanks, panel. Um, we'll see you next week, viewers, with another WP Tonic Roundtable with a great panel and hopefully some better stories. We'll see you soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.